Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians, the Zito. Hey, hey, we're here. Plus one. Puppy, come here. One. Okay, I think she got in here. Come here, puppy. Come here. <laughs> Sorry, not totally professional, but we are so excited that we got a puppy and I'm trying to get her over here um, so she, you guys can see her. So you'll see her in a little bit. Um, happy Sunday to you, honey. Um, Thank you, and a uh, great Sunday to you as well. <laughs> that sounds <is> so proper. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this is seminar number three uh, of your Summer of Scripture, and specifically on Summer of Saul, a.k.a. what do you call him? Uh, uh, Rabbi Shaul, or the, uh, the Apostle Paul. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Exactly. Let's yeah. get this out of here. There we are. Okay. Hey. So when I get our puppy up here, or I get a good angle, do you mind if I just come back in the screen? Or is that going to disturb you? Uh, No, please come back in the screen. (laughs) All right, awesome. All right, let's get our friends up in here. We have Dwight in the house. Hey, Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) The fucking Wyoming. No, no, I I don't know. Wide open space, a lot of wide open space. I need to get the tagline for your state so I can scream it whenever you show up. <laughs> do do you have a dog, Dwight, up there? Yes, yes, we have a dog. It's uh, Ailu is her name, and she is a Siberian husky. Mm. Um, I get a picture of her put up. Let me see if I have her a photo. I don't know if I have. Uh, yeah, you were able to share it. If you put it on the screen, I could do it. Or yeah, let me, uh, let me get my screen with a picture of her. Uh, 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 yeah, I've got a picture here. I can show you real quick. Yeah, yeah, um, please do. And as you're doing that, we're going to bring up Okay, Andre I've got a picture right now. If you want to share the screen. Hey, Andre. Let's hey. see. What's up, Andre? All right, so we're, are you- We're checking out Dwight's dog. Yeah, let's see, Dwight. You you say you're sharing your picture? I don't see it. Uh, how do yet. I share my screen? Um, In the bottom, there should be something that says share with a plus. Okay, and... hold on one second. I can just- mm-hmm. While you're doing that, Andre, how's the weather in Ohio? Um, Pretty good. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty- a nice sunset right Ooh. now. So, sunset. Yeah. Okay, sunset is my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, I'm trying to get our puppy over here by trying to give her snackies. Come here. 
And I was going to actually have her own invite, guys. Um, however, it, it it makes like this double sound. So it, it's like a little uh, weird. Is that what share. Yeah, yeah, that's what it does. But this is our puppy, guys. This is Princess Poppy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she is three months. She's a rescued. Um, all right. And uh, we got her on Friday. So we are very excited to have her. And there's a whole bunch of pictures of her on uh, Instagram if you guys want to. And videos. I have her all posted <laughs> all over the place. Um, all right. So, Dwight, are you able to share your picture? This is great. We're sharing dog pictures, guys. We, we are going to have a class very shortly. But, you know, okay, and, um, and we love dogs. Okay. I'm clicking share. Share screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. It says share screen, but I keep getting a loop back. Uh, share screen. Maybe on your phone, you can just hold it up. Oh, you can do that too. Okay. That's a good uh, one. Okay, let me see. Good solution, Jimmy. Good. Solution. I like I like low tech. I know I have a beautiful tech girl here. All right. <laughs> I love it. All right. For those who are joining us, we are live on Facebook on Jimmy's personal profile. This is the first time. Oh my goodness! So, um, you guys can all leave comments. Uh, we're on YouTube for the podcast and also on the page on Facebook. So thank you everyone for joining. Oh, let's see the picture. Oh, there she is. <laughs> she's so big. Is she still a puppy? Uh, she's. 18 months old. Okay. Look at those eyes. Yeah, and, beautiful uh, eyes. Yes. Yeah. They are killer blue. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Very cute. Very cute. That is awesome. Stuff. All right, guys. I uh, Jimmy, so you, I'm going to pull up your screen, and I'm going to be <laughs> out. And once I get Poppy in here, I'm going to just pop the picture in here. Sounds Enjoy your good. class, guys. <laughs> Thanks, honey. So Poppy might be coming to uh, to spend time with us. Well, guys, thanks so much for being here again for our Summer of Scripture. First ever Summer of Saul. This is our Intro to Paul Part 2. Uh, again, what to expect in case you're just you know discovering us for the first time. We do these every Sunday at 6.30. So be here. It'll be a lots of fun. 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, you know, depending on, on where you are in the world. We're doing some summer reading together, which is always fun to, to read stuff together, to be able to talk about it with your friends, and some scripture journaling. So again, our Sunday seminars are here, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time for about 90 minutes, and we're going to be diving into lots of fun stuff. We're finishing up today our two-part introduction to Paul. And then from there, we're going to be doing a deep dive into Ephesians, which I'm super excited about. I've never gotten to do this with a group before. I've always wanted to. Uh, I've done it myself for, you know, many books of the Bible, many letters of Paul, uh, but never uh, with a group. So it's always been a dream of mine to uh, take a group through Ephesians together and do a nice deep dive. So we should have fun doing that. We have our summer reading going. We have three books by the great N.T. Wright, who is uh, one of the best New Testament scholars around. He is the rare bird of being able to be a good writer while also being one of the best 
scholars of our day. We are into Paul, a biography. Uh, and if you've been following along with us, you should have already read the introduction and up to chapter nine. Uh, next week, we'll be, fi- we'll be finishing uh, Paul, a biography, and we'll get- be getting into how God became king, which I'm super excited about. I have my copy here. It's all like, I don't know what you call it, dog-eared and chewed up because I just uh, like that book so much. So I'm excited for all you guys who will be experiencing for the first time and for all of you who will be rereading it like myself. Uh, scripture journaling, we're going to be making sure that when we go into the books of the Bible, we get some opportunity to journal with our Bibles. On the way, I really feel books are meant to be interacted with. So we have you know, the option for you guys to, to buy these really rad uh, scripture journals from Crossway. It's the ESV translation. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, linear to try and go word for word. So the English isn't always the best, but it's it's really good Hebrew or Greek, depending on which book you're looking at. The individual books where you get a nice page of text where it actually feels literary quality. It's a nice heavy page. You can write on it without feeling like your pen is going to go through it. And a nice page for your notes. So for every page of text, you get a page of notes and it's lots of fun. And please, please, as always, consider supporting us on Patreon. Help us to do more rad stuff like this where we get together and we get to be Bible nerds. I know you guys are Bible nerds out there. I know nerd has a bad connotation. Sometimes I'm like, oh, am I really a nerd? Uh, I am a nerd. I am a Bible nerd, but I also consider myself one of the cool kids. So hopefully you guys are there with me as well. So again, today, intro to Paul, part two. Let's just get into it. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is the concept of Paul's letters being occasional letters. So that at first might sound weird. What, what do we mean by occasional letters? So what we mean is that each letter was written to a different ecclesia or group of ecclesia. And in case you're just discovering us, what we talked about last week was that ecclesia, uh, you know, although it has come to be, you know, translated as church in our Bibles, it really means a political social movement where people got together. They really shared all aspects of life together. Uh, they engaged heavily in debate and in discourse of just trying to figure out uh, what's the best way to live, what's the best way to understand life. Uh, you know, this is kind of from Greco-Roman times, so they were very concerned about all these things such as, uh, you know, the meaning of life. Philosophy was big back then. Uh, one of the best things you could be in life for a Roman citizen was a lawyer, a statesman, and above that would be a philosopher. So if you were looking to be like the rock star of the Roman world, you wanted to be a philosopher. That's where it is at. All right. So we're going to do a quick exercise together. We're going to look at some of the prescripts of Paul, which is, again, something that we went over last week. But it's just a really good practice, especially when we're talking about occasional letters. So if you want to pull out your Bible, uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, we're going to look first in First Thessalonians. And if you look at the little map here, this is kind of like Paul's world here. Uh, the letter to the Thessalonians was probably the first letter that Paul ever constructed, uh, ever wrote. Uh, again, like we talked about last week with his group, with his homies that wrote these letters together, uh, the people who actually wrote it down, the people who helped him write the letter, uh, as he talks about even here in First Thessalonians. Paul 
and Silvanus and Timothy. So here's kind of Paul's crew to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. All right. So from there, we kind of get, you know, who's writing the letter, Paul, Silvanus and Timothy. And we get to the church uh, of the Thessalonians and God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to to you and peace. I'm reading from the new American standard, which isn't always the best English, but it's good when you're going, trying to go for one for one between the original language and that, and that's now let's go to Galatians one verse one to verse two, Paul an apostle, not then from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So here in Galatians, Paul casts a wide net. He's like, you know, I have a whole bunch of people here with me. You know, the brethren who are with me, not really named. Uh, but we get something interesting here. Paul, you know, calling himself an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ, which we kind of talked a little bit about. Uh, we talked about Galatians more last week. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Paul called and as apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sophonies, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all whom in every place call the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So here we, again, we see Paul referring to himself as an apostle. So we're going to be talking about that. And who is he writing this to? It's writing to Corinth. He's writing to a specific group. Uh, and he has, you know, he mentions that Sophonies is there as well. All right. And let's look at Philippians. Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. So here, Paul and Timothy, they're writing uh, to the church, the ecclesia in Philippi. So we're going to stop reading our prescripts, but just something that we want to remember as we go through the letters of Paul, we find all the letters of Paul today in our Bibles bound together in a collection. But at one time, these things had a life of their own. And it's important for us when we're reading that to remember that, you know, sometimes Paul can be used uh, in what's called systematic theology. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with systematic theology. Uh, Systematic theology is where you're constructing something out of the Bible that might not necessarily be explicitly stated. For instance, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? If you're going to look for that, you can do a, a quick concordance search for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you can see how many times they actually come up together. It's not really many times, right? Jesus, when he's sending everyone out at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, it's there. But what people have done with systematic theology is they've gone through the Bible and they've looked for things, right? How can we we pull things out? I just heard my dog barking in the other room. How can we pull things out uh, to construct a case for the Trinity? When Paul was doing his letters, He wasn't trying to do that. He wasn't trying to create a work on systematic theology. 
Uh, he wasn't, this wasn't a unified corpus, right? So Paul's letters, you know, about a, would be another 100 to 150 years before they were bound together in some type of scroll or some type of codex. And they were, you know, circulated around the world. So just wanted to take a second for us to reflect on occasional letters and just understanding that when we read Paul, we have to always keep in mind uh, that, you know, these are occasional letters written to certain communities uh, for a certain, for a certain, uh, you know, reason. Um, so just reflecting on that, let's have a quick discussion here as we begin. wanted to try and uh, get a discussion in earlier this time. So what does it mean to you to say that Paul's letters are occasional letters? And what difference does it make to read the letters as occasional rather than written systematically to a broad or universal public? What do you guys think? Um, Jimmy, for me, an occasional yeah. letter would mean it's addressing a specific need yep. uh, or an occasion um, versus a general letter, which would have a foundational reason, a foundational principle. Mm -hmm. um, so an occasion would be like an issue in a church, yep. uh, something that's come up, um, uh, a theological you know, feud or something that's going on within a church that need to be settled there. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. Cause you know, in terms of like, you know, do we have evidence it, like even in the new Testament Testament of someone actually constructing a work of theology, I would say probably the gospels, you know, would qualify as someone sitting down and, you know, they probably didn't use the word theology. It, they mm -hmm. definitely didn't, uh, but they actually had a point to kind of putting all those stories about Jesus together. Uh, but when it comes to Paul, I think you're absolutely right. These are, you know, he's writing them. These are almost like political documents, as we'll talk about in a little while. These are things to deal with specific issues and specific things that were happening, uh, you know, real time. So also things like squabbles within a church, you know, mm -hmm. such as uh, I'm trying to remember about uh, which one of it is that, he talked about where a whole household couldn't get along and he urged the houses to, or the household to just get it straightened out. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thanks Dwight. Anyone else? Andre, you got anything to say? Um, I think, uh, yeah, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Like, well, I, I guess, like, it's kind of weird, I think, because, like, I'm so used to, like, seeing Paul's, like, letters as, like, a universal, like, a universal thing. So, like, the idea of, like, the letters being, like, you know, like, for a certain place in a, you know, a certain place in a certain situation is pretty interesting, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, if they're letters, then I think that could only actually be the case. You know, that if I'm writing a letter to somebody, then it usually is for a specific point and a yep. specific reason, you know, so that actually makes a lot more sense, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, so. Yeah. It's one of those things that I feel like I kind of always, 
I always knew, but until like I was actually, you know, someone sat me down in a class and I read through all the prescripts where it kind of hit me like, Oh, these are, these are, these are letters. <laughs> this is someone's mail, uh, which is very different than the way I think uh, we tend to read them. You know, we tend to read them as these are theological documents uh, versus, you know, letters. So cool. Thanks, Andre. Appreciate it. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Glad you're here. Sorry, I had some family stuff to attend to. No worries, man. No worries. That was asked. Uh, what was that? Was there a question that was asked? Uh, yeah, we were talking about how Paul's letters are occasional versus like, you know, documents of uh, someone sitting down and constructing like a theological argument or like, you know, systematic theology. Like if somebody was going to like in a gospel, a gospel would be more like, you know, like, hey, let's sit down and, and construct something here theological. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the question was, uh, does this change the way you read these letters? Yeah, um, I mean, absolutely. Okay. I, I think I think the thing that's always been the challenge has been um, the traditional way that we were kind of brought up to view the Bible itself. Um, because it's kind of like, oh, it's the word of God. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's an inspired word of God, but like the way that it was kind of communicated, it's almost as if like, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's like, it's supposed to kind of be like, oh, when I read it, God is talking to me like directly. Yeah. And I think like that stuff, that lens just seeps into the way you end up looking at everything. So then when you get something that's so personal as a letter, it really feels like if you've got that lens that that you were already taught, it almost feels like, how could it not be? You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. So, so I think that once you unlearn that or kind of come in with a different set of um, presuppositions, that allows you to just see it differently. But as long as you're already going in with that same kind of mindset, it's so hard because they seem so personal. Do this, right. don't do this, don't treat this way. So, yeah, I think that's the challenge, I think, for a lot of people and even for myself in the beginning. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate your thoughts there. Here's just a bigger map just so you guys can see, you know, everything we were talking about, uh, you know, all the all the different cities um, that Paul wrote letters to. Uh, you know, most scholars think that he wrote a lot of things from Ephesus to a lot of the churches, Ephesus or the valley that Ephesus was in, um, you know, that kind of led to the ocean there. Um you know, so that's just something interesting for us to to think about. And I think maps to me always kind of bring it home that these are these are real places. <laughs> these are real places uh, that existed. And Paul was writing to actual communities of Ecclesia, uh, you know, these political, social communities in these cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about something called rhetoric, uh, rhetoric and Paul. So I know rhetoric can often be something that has a very negative connotation today, uh, especially when you're talking about political circles. People could be like, "Ah, oh, enough of that rhetoric. Just tell me, just tell me what you think. Tell me what you really mean." Um, but in Paul's day, uh, it didn't have a negative connotation. It was actually considered a very, very high mode of learning. So there were no formal systems of education back in the Greco-Roman world, uh, but People who were wealthy enough did receive an education, 
and it usually flowed that you had some type of elementary education that you usually got at home. Um, you know, the elementary education that you would get at home from your family or maybe from some tutor that just existed in your household. Uh, the second level would be writing and reading. You would get that from a trained grammaticus. I, I think that's an awesome, awesome term. Uh, I almost want you guys to start calling me uh, Lord Grammaticus for now on. Or I think that'd be a great name for a cat. I don't, I don't know why. I feel like a cat would love to edit because they just have the right personality. Anyway, so you would get trained by a Grammaticus. And the third level of rhetoric, uh, the third level of education would be rhetoric. And you'd be usually taught that by your Grammaticus. They would use uh, these textbooks that we still have a lot of records of. And it really is the art of persuasion. Right. It was necessary to be a lawyer, a politician or a philosopher. And the philosophers were the kind of rock stars of the ancient world. So one of the reasons that some of Paul's letters have been disputed as like, you know, the not genuine of Paul authoring them is because some of these textbooks that we found, it was these uh, I'm going to try and pronounce it. Pragymnasta. I think I pronounced that incorrectly, but I did my best. Uh, a lot of their exercises we, we know about. So there were a series of exercises and learning how to write good rhetoric. And one of them was writing as some famous person in their voice. And we would, we would alarm bells would fly up today. We would say that's plagiarism. How could you do that? This was actually a common practice in the ancient world. And some texts that were so, so good would almost be passed on as authentic, right? In the school of whoever it was, I mean, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Seneca, you know, all is the, all of uh, the Stoics, all of these different great philosophers. Uh, so, you know, I'm on the fence about it. Some scholars make a compelling case that these things were written uh, later, not Paul. For instance, some people think first Timothy, second Timothy and Titus were kind of constructed by admirers of, of Paul as almost imagining an aged Paul about to pass the torch on to the next generation would have constructed these letters like this is what he would have said if he was, you know, passing the torch on to the next generation. Me, doesn't really matter much to me. I took um, some of this, a lot of the stuff that we're doing in the intro to Paul. I took a few different classes uh, for free online with uh, different online schools like Yale and Harvard. They have their own divinity schools. And when you go to, when you go to their classes, it's all of like, yes, <laughs> a whole bunch of the letters were definitely not written by Paul. I just finished a hermeneutics class at a more conservative seminary. And they're like, absolutely not. All the letters were written by Paul. There's, there's no evidence for it. And if you know, as you're reading through N.T. Wright's book, Paul, a biography, he would also say that, you know, no, all these letters were definitely written by Paul, but I think it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about it. Um, so we're going to, before we get into this, we're going to read two scriptures. We're going to look at Galatians and Romans. And we're going to just talk about what are the different ways that Paul is presenting himself. And we're going to have a quick discussion on that. So first we're going to go to Galatians. Galatians 1. And we're going to go from 1 to 17. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Now I'm trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I still were trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. So we read some of this last week. So that's the way Paul constructs himself in Galatians. Let's go over to Romans. You can keep your finger here if you're following along in your Bible. And we're going to just talk about, compare and contrast the different ways Paul presents himself. So Romans 1. Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I'd long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, 
than for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So here we have Paul writing to two different communities of Ecclesia. And we want to just kind of talk about real quick, what are some of the differences between how Paul presents himself? Why do you think he does this? And what's the point of these two letters, having read that together? Uh, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, in, in both of these letters, he refers to himself, um, you know, as an apostle, because sometimes he just says Paul, like a prisoner of the Lord or something along those lines. He doesn't even necessarily always say he's an apostle. Right. Uh, but um, in Galatians, he seems to really be addressing an issue. And he's like, look, guys, I'm not a secondhand apostle. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There's some stuff people are trying to throw into confusion. I got my message straight from God. <laughs> I didn't get it from <clears throat> anybody else. So yep. I speak with real authority. And if anyone is trying to tell you something different than what you were taught, um, which they may be saying because I don't have the same authority or whatever, like, no, let them be eternally condemned. Like, so he's really addressing that issue um, about it. With, with Romans, he's still putting himself out there as an apostle. Um, and he still mentions the resurrection of Jesus in both of those. But there's this different tone where he's really like addressing how, hey, this is a Jew and Gentile message. This is an everyone message. And I'm not ashamed of this message, which, you know, I guess if you would look at it like uh, a message of your Lord being crucified, like God coming down as a man and then men being able to overpower him and kill him would almost be a shameful message to say, how can that be a powerful God? And he's like, I'm not ashamed of this message. Um, and he just kind of, um, so there's, there's, there's two different tones. Right. Uh, and there are some similarities, but there's definitely two different tones coming from these two letters. Uh, cool. in the first, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. You know, he definitely seems to be very concerned in Galatians uh, to justify who he is. Where in the Romans, it kind of just seems like uh, he's not that concerned uh, about proving himself. He's kind of just more stating who he is. That's cool, man. That's awesome. Anyone else? Um, you know, it seems like in, in Galatians, he's he's already been there. And mm-hmm. somebody's coming in behind him yeah. and trying to undermine what what he's done. And even you know, undermining the fact that he had any kind of authority to start with as Nick had pointed out in Romans, he says, like, I wanted to get there. I haven't been able to get there. I want to talk to you about all of this. And I've just been pulled back. And it's not even like he's trying to defend it. Um, but he's just like, it's not like anybody's trying to under undermine him. I just want to get there. I've really longed to do that. And he's obligated, you know, he's to the, you know, he's been obligated to the Greeks and the non-Greeks doesn't even talk about that much about the Jews. It's not like they're trying to, to get in there, but he's just trying to, to, it's, it's not like he's trying to defend himself to a Jewish faction or anything. So that's, he's like presenting himself as just trying to not defend himself, presenting himself as a person who's uh, coming in to lift people up and share with the community. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point. Yeah, Romans. It seems like he doesn't know uh, this this audience. He knows that there is a group of ecclesia there, or maybe a group of Ecclesi- a group of groups of ecclesia there that he's reaching out to. In Galatians, he does seem like there, there's more intimacy there. There's more there's more bite. There's more vile. Like he, you know, he he's upset. Um, he's you know he does kind of like the standard you know, blessing that, you know, he's, he's glad for them. And then he kind of just launches right into everything. Cool. Yeah. So Andre, you have anything, anything you noticed? Um, I mean, I'll say, I'll say like for Galatians, it did seem like he kind of came off stronger mm. in Galatians. Yeah. Like Romans and he's like, I thank you, your <laughs> faith, you know, and then Galatians is like, you know, let them be eternally condemned, right? <laughs> you know, for, like, you know, um, having a different gospel. So he seemed like, I mean, I think in both of them, he seemed to care about the gospel. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Like, Paul is like, he really cares about this gospel thing. It just seemed like in Galatians, he was more, like, fired up, though. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it, these are good things to read and think about and why like why why would he do this why would he he change his tone uh you know and it's obviously because the point of these two letters were were different they they were for different reasons one he was upset about something that had occurred and was possibly still occurring and the other one it was almost like an introductory sales call or like you know like when you're just getting to know somebody uh when you're dating them like you know it's, it's kind of all like He's, you know, trying to present his best foot forward uh, to the Romans. So we're going to take a little close look. So this is uh, a statue of Aristotle, uh, what they think maybe he looked look like. You know, no one really knows. A lot of these things were, were made, you know, long after these people were already dead. He, he was a person who kind of wrote the handbook on rhetoric that stayed kind of with the Greco-Roman world for, for many, many years. Uh, really like, you know, there were others who would write later than him, uh, even in the time of Paul. But this guy right here was the one who would have been uh, the most influential to Paul that Paul's teacher probably used, uh, you know, his text texts and textbooks when he was teaching Paul how to, you know, construct rhetoric. Another cool thing about Aristotle as a, he was also the tutor to Alexander the Great, which is, you know, kind of cool if you think about it. Alexander the Great had a great teacher, right? And then he went on to conquer the world. Um, Aristotle on record, rhetoric, persuasion is produced by the speech itself when we established a true or apparently true from the means of persuasion applicable to each individual subject. Uh, I had one writing teacher in college, it was a journalism class. And he said something like, I felt like it was very profound. I wrote it down and it's kind of stayed with me all these years. I actually don't even remember the professor's name to give him credit, but I remember what he said. He said, you have to remember all writing is manipulation. And then he moved on and it just like hit me. And it's like, it's so true. Like even like, you know, taking away the negative connotation of manipulation, everything that's written is trying to persuade us of something, whether it's true or not, right? And so that's how Aristotle kind of describes rhetoric. There are three main parts of rhetoric, uh, ethos, pathos, and logos. 
uh, which are very, very important for understanding Paul. Ethos is the speaker's character, whether they're credible or good. Uh, or we would we would say today, like how a person self-constructs themselves, how a person presents themselves into the world. And here's another quote from Aristotle. We believe good men more fully and readily than others. This is true generally, whatever the quality is. So whatever subject it is, whatever the person's character actually is, if we perceive them to be good, you know, if we perceive them to be good people, we're more readily, you know, willing to listen to what they say. If you ever had a situation where speakers come up and maybe, you know, you know some stuff about what's going on in their lives um, or a politician, maybe they just had a big scandal and they come, come up and they start talking, you know, kumbaya, we all need to get along. A lot of times that's very suspect uh, because we know something about a person's character. But if someone is known to be good, if someone has a great reputation, has spent years cultivating that, we're more willing to listen to them. Second is pathos. Pathos is evoking emotion or putting people into a certain frame of mind. So another quote from Aristotle, the orator persuades by means of his hearers when they are aroused to emotion by his speech. For the judgments we deliver are not the same when we are influenced by joy or sorrow, love or hate. And I think, you know, that also is very true. I think, you know, I think the Greeks were on to something when uh, they observed all this and they, they wrote all this stuff down. Uh, if you can evoke a certain frame of mind or a certain emotional response in the people you're communicating to, uh, you more easily get the desired outcome that you want. So for Galatians, maybe it was more like, you know, wanting to get them upset or regretful of what they have done. You know, like this is a very personal uh, relationship <clears throat> to Paul. Uh, to Romans, maybe it was more of just getting them excited about the gospel of God, about Jesus and all the things that have been going on and have been, you know, done in the world since Jesus, you know, Jesus's death and resurrection. And logos is just speech itself. We really won't say much about that. And the art of using words, just putting words together, you know. Um, a lot of scholars have said that Paul has received, had, has definitely received from his writings some rhetorical training, um, but he's by far not the best example of rhetoric in the ancient world. That would have been a philosopher and statesman known as Cicero. People kind of hold him up as like the gold standard uh, in case you, you know you want to go look him up and see it. It's very similar. If you've ever read something from Cicero, you almost feel like, oh, did we find another letter of Paul? Because it, he uses a lot of the same conventions. Um, but you know, if you speak the Greek, which I don't, supposedly Cicero is, is much, much better. Uh, but it's also in more educated Greek. So who knows? I like Paul. All right. Three main kinds of rhetoric. And this is the key to hearing tone in Paul. If you've ever received a text that's very ambiguous, you're like, I just don't know how to take this. Is this person mad at me? Or are they just telling me they're not, they're not coming or they're going to be late? What's going on? Right? Or if you receive a text, it's just like, it's hard to hear tone. Or you get an email, Right? And if the email you're going to fire back, maybe it would be a little like crabby, a little like, you know, like retaliatory until you take a second and you kind of think about what that email was, was actually saying. Right. So tone is very hard to hear in the written word. But luckily for us, with rhetoric, 
there are certain forms of conventions that we can kind of tell uh, what the tone of Paul's letters are in any piece of rhetoric. The first one is judicial forensic. That's a past event, either being defended or attacked, right? It's a past. So judicial is kind of just dealing with stuff in the past. Uh, and it's, it's either it's being brought up, it's being discussed, and we're either defending it like this was the best course of action that we could have taken or it's being attacked. This, this is where everything went wrong. This is what we did incorrectly or this is what they did incorrectly. Uh, it's, it's doing something with a past event. Deliberative would be advisory. That means something is going on right now. This is a current issue and we want to discuss it. And we want to talk about what the speaker or the writer thinks that people should be doing, right? So there's something going on. Decisions are being made in real time. Uh, you know, there could be an invading force coming uh, in church framework. There could be an evolving crisis in a church network or church or somewhere. So it's advisory in nature events in the, I got it wrong. <laughs> that That's epidemic. So that's advisory in real time. Blame or blame for something presently happening. Sorry. Deliberative, we advisory events in the future. You guys are probably looking at my slides. Oh, so confused. So deliberative would be for the future. Sorry. Events in the future. Something is happening. We have to make a decision uh, and, you know, we need to talk about it. Epitetic would be praise or blame for something presently happening. Good. I got it straight. Judicial, deliberative, Epidetic, past, future, or currently. All right. Paul's letters as rhetorical documents. So we want to talk about there's a difference between Paul the letter writer and Paul from Acts. So Paul the letter writer, right, he's writing to different ecclesia. And we have to remember that these are political documents. You know, they're written in rhetoric. Rhetoric is used to persuade or influence events. These are political documents. He does use rhetorical forms. So we want to talk about who was Paul the letter writer or his ethos. How does Paul try and construct himself? So let's talk about it real quick and some of the you know, passages of Paul that we've read. How does Paul use rhetoric to make him more effective or sympathetic? How do you feel like Paul is using rhetoric to talk about who he is constructing himself? What do you guys think? We can talk about Romans and Galatians. I mean, I, I, this is definitely not my area of expertise at all, but I think um, when he does talk to, like, refer to himself as a servant mm -hmm. or a bonser, or, you know, I know we think there are those two letters, maybe, but he's, he's a servant. Um, he's an apostle. Um, you know, I have to go back and look at uh, the scriptures again, but... Um, he presents himself like like in Galatians, he presents himself with someone with authority. So then his message has like then you're like, okay, this person has authority, because we like confidence and we like we feel confident when someone has authority. You know what I mean? Yeah. In um, in uh, Romans, uh, he does talk about that he like we've been blessed like to be apostles, we and it's like this, we're all part of this really awesome message. Uh, it's much more endearing, it's less putting you it, 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 it it's pulling you in rather than standing you making you stand back and yep. it's like so uh, and there's something about that that's endearing and it makes you want to hear what does this guy got to say 
Um, so I, I, you know, so that, that's just the two things that stand out to me. One is like, I have authority. The other one is like, Hey, you know, I got this great message. I'm really excited. You're it's all, it's for all of us from faith, from first to last, we're all in this together. Let me tell you what I got to tell you. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Anyone else? Well, since, uh, since Galatians is definitely a defensive type of letter, you know, it's something that's going on and he's having a, a definite reaction, you know, something that's, you know, happening, you know, using the epi- da, 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 that third thing you were talking about. He's coming back with a um, passive, past event thing where he says, look, I was not, I didn't get my authority from the guys in Jerusalem. I got it straight from Jesus. I went, you know, to Arabia, Mount Hermon, whatever, just like Moses did. I got that kind of authority, you know, and so I'm coming to you and I'm going to deal with those, deal with you because I don't know why you're giving up, you know, the things I told you before from these people. And if somebody is trying to go back and say, you don't have that authority, this is the thing I'm trying to convince you with. So that's that's the type of rhetoric he's using there. Yeah. Uh, I think like uh, Nick said, okay, he's using the, the type of rhetoric that, yes, I'm a servant. You know, I've given, you know, a lot of life. I've been, you know, I'm kind of been held back and cause, causing a pathos even, you know, a sympathy in that, you know, I wanted to be there. I'm really causing a sympathetic or emotive thing and that he's eager to be there and that that's going to want them to listen to him. Hmm. So that's what I'm getting out of this in Romans. Yeah. This is, this is One of the things I've always noticed. Um, Go for it is um and i obviously have to check the greek but i noticed this many many years ago and most of paul's letters not all but in almost all of them he says this phrase grace and peace to you from the lord jesus christ and god the father or something along those lines and most of all the other letters no one uses that phrase like from like and and, and i don't know if he's really saying it in this way like uh, I, I, you know like, hey, I'm giving these just, just like if I say, hey, if I talk to you, say, oh man, by the way, um, you know, uh, Dwight says hello, you would get the almost invert, like, hey, I spoke to Dwight. Um, the way that he says it, he says, you know, grace and peace to you from the Lord. Like, it's almost like it's this, like, it's this message he's giving you directly from God. Uh, mm-hmm. And I've and I've looked at the other letters, whether it be from Peter or James, and they don't phrase it that way. They may say something similar but they never say it in that way that kind of gives that and i just i find that very interesting i'd like to go back but it's, it's always translated in english the same exact way in almost every letter except i think, I think one so i think i find that very interesting because that also it's very endearing like hey i got some grace and peace to you from god it's not like i'm wishing you grace and peace but it's from so i don't know i just find something about that is very very interesting yeah in how it identifies him that's good. So I have a question from that. So grace and peace from God, would you, would you like lean towards then maybe the, the rest of the letter 
is directly from Jesus or it's just like what he's saying there's grace and peace uh, from Jesus. Does that make sense? That question? Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear the question. I really have to think about that. Yeah. Um, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think like that. No. And yes, like, hmm. I, I think, I think, I think Paul speaks from a place of truth and honesty. Hmm. And I think whenever you speak from like, if you have good judgment and you're really sincere, you know, whatever, or you, you take the time to wrestle something down and pray through it, like Paul would. Like when you, when you speak in honesty, there's something about that that's very genuine. And I, you know what I mean? And I don't think he ever came from a place where he didn't think something through or he wasn't speaking in his most sincerest way of speaking. Does that necessarily mean that I think that every word is, 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 is only from God and this is not from him personally? I don't really know. I don't think so. Um, but it's a very interesting question because I've never really yeah. thought about that recently. That's just something I really noticed that even 20 years ago um, or, or longer when I said, wow, that's interesting. Paul's the only one that really says it that way. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. That's awesome. Do you have any thoughts on your amp? Do you have any answers to your question? <laughs> uh, well, it's something that I'm, you know, I feel like I'm considering in real time because, you know, on one one hand, you know, the way I, you know, first learned to approach Paul was that this was the word of God. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later. But then, like, when you when you start reading the whole thing, you're like, well, even even take the Psalms, for instance. So Psalms are someone's prayer journal, basically. And so, like, if the prayer journal is, like, words directly from God, but it's also someone's prayers, like, how does that how does that work? You, you know, it's like, this is the word of God, but it's also someone's prayers. W- what does that mean? And then for Paul's letters, you know, I, th- I feel like currently I've kind of leaned on the side of, and we'll, we'll talk about this hopefully more later, uh, that, you know, these were occasional letters. Paul is writing to a specific group. He, he does have some truths to convey, but that's not the point. You know, we don't have the, uh, the treaty on Pauline theology, you know, that we can just go to and we can look up well, what did Paul mean on this? You know, we have his occasional letters and what we can, what value can we get from those? If they behave differently, then like this, this is Paul's like answer for everything. If, that's kind of like a long answer. <laughs> could I, could I ask one thing, Jimmy? Sure, please. If you go through these, there's, there's one time that Paul says, now, it's just my opinion on this. I, Paul, says this, say this. You know, it's, this is me. And that's about the only time I know where he really says that and he draws the line. So would you take that then that maybe he feels inspired on everything else? Um, let's, let's put a pin in that. Let's, he draws the line on that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> would, that, would that make a difference for you? Uh, can you say it one more time? If he draws the line at that, would that make a difference to how you look at it? Well, I mean, the, the, what you're talking about is uh, in one of the Corinthian letters, correct? Yes. Yeah. So in the Corinthian letters, there is a section where it's very heavy on instructions. Yeah. For the Lord, I have instructions for you on this. For the Lord, I have instructions for you on this. So one of the things of talking about, you know, these being occasional letters would be like, okay, he, he wrote that to the Corinthians, but he didn't necessarily give specific instructions to Romans, mm-hmm. right? Because he didn't know that community. 
So taking these like, um, and there, there's a there's a way of looking at ancient documents where you think of them as objects, objects with a social life, a history. They have a biography all of their own. Uh, now we don't have any of the autographs of Paul's letters, mm-hmm. but we have like over five thousand fragments and copies, uh, you know, of his letter, and you know, ha- not having gone into them and examined every one from the books I've read, no two are the same. No two, no two are exactly the same. So when the translation communities come together, they're really taking like a whole bunch of letters and they're trying to like figure out what is like the best, what, what is more authentic here versus like, you know, with like the Dead Sea Scrolls and a lot of the Old Testament, like a lot of that is more like that hadn't changed for like a millennia, you know, where like even in, after Paul had written them and people were, were writing them and passing them on, you know, and this, like the Marcion controversy, like, you know, where Marcion, we don't know anything about Marcion, except that everybody hated him. <laughs> and the reason that they hated him is because he had edited uh, letters of Paul that had taken out uh, the Hebrew God, that had taken out, um, you know, any illusion, anything Jewish, really. And he had an edited copy of, of Luke that also took out the creator God of the Hebrews, uh, supposedly, because nothing of his survives. So, you know, we know that they're, you know, and so we're looking back to a very like non-literate society that didn't really value the written word. They valued more like people sitting around in groups, having the word read to them, you know? So that kind of went off on a little tangent, but it just kind of just, for me, something in Corinthians wouldn't necessarily translate to me that the rest of the letters, Paul is like, this is straight from Jesus's lips. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm not saying that they're not necessarily. I just don't, I don't think you can make that one-on-one correlation. Does that make sense? Devils. Devils uh, yeah. 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 Would I be able to share? I know we, I don't want to change sure. my but uh, like, I'm trying to be really specific. Like, um, I, I have a lot of people that I counsel and I'm really good friends with and I talk to and, and um, uh, in recent times, in the past uh, few years, I've had uh, several friends um, going through stuff, marriage stuff, um, and in, in some of the situations, divorce became a, a topic of conversation. Um, and what's interesting is, is in one uh, situation, there was some marital unfaithfulness, but in that context of the relationship, staying together really seemed like the best option. And that was when I was asked my personal opinions, you can do whatever you want, but it seems like, you know, the way things are now, it seems like working, working towards staying together seems like the right option now. You know what I mean? Then there was some other relationship where there was some uh, abuse and things of that nature. There wasn't marital unfaithfulness, and it almost seemed like this doesn't look like it's a healthy situation. It seems very destructive. Sure. I mean, I, it, it, I don't know. It, it, this person doesn't seem like they want to change. It might even seem like the, there needs to be separation in this. Uh, and then there's another situation where, uh, like, some a lot of stuff was going on. It was kind of like, I, I don't really know if like you have to make that choice for yourself. Like, like this is on you. you, you there's, there's a, it's gonna go. It's gonna go one way or the other way. You got to figure out what you think God is calling you to. Which you know, I tell her. But so, so it's three similar situations. Uh, but there's three different 
things that seem best, um, even though we could say, oh, but all, isn't it all just a conversation about staying married and not getting divorced? And I think right. like we're dealing with these contextual letters, whether we're dealing with the Corinthians or we're dealing with the Ephesians or we're dealing with whatever, like just because it might look like it's the same situation, that doesn't necessarily mean that it really is. And that doesn't necessarily mean that Paul would say in this group, you know, whatever, stay, stay married. And in that group, you know, get to, like, we don't know. He might give three different answers based on what's really going on. Sure. Since we're reading one, one side of a conversation and we don't understand anything about, you know, in a sense, even just like Paul never being in Rome might have a different set of advice, whereas he had been in, 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 in Corinth. So, you know what I mean? So I think there's, there's all of that to consider as we try and figure out not only like, are they inspired of Jesus' words, but would Paul really be, say the same thing every time, everywhere, just because he said it once? Right. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense, if that was a waste of time or anything. No, it's good. I mean, there's, again, you know, this goes back to Paul's letters being occasional. Like, yeah. you know, I've even heard it point out, I, I want to say this is N.T. Wright, but I, I feel like Bima also talked about this on their podcast as well, that with the Corinthian church, right, Paul gave very specific instructions on speaking in tongues and prophesying and, and various spiritual gifts, which we don't really find in any of the other letters, so it, it does seem like, you know, Corinthians is very instruction heavy. It does seem that maybe there was something unique going on with the Corinthian church that the other ecclesia w- weren't dealing with. So I think, you know, the evidence is kind of like right there. For I feel like, you know, it's, it's pretty like inarguable that, you know, Paul was constructing his letters for specific purposes in mind. And he absolutely would probably change his answer depending on the group that he was talking to, you know, and that's, you know, even, even thinking about the way, uh, you know, Paul kind of shapeshifts a little bit. Um, that's actually something we were going to talk about. So let's, uh, do you mind if I show you guys a slide real quick? Cause I think this discussion is really good. Uh, so there does seem to be, you know, a difference between Paul, the letter writer and Paul from Acts, which is something, you know, to always think about it. If you look through like all these scriptures, you know, Paul kind of talks about himself being an apostle. In, um, in Romans and Corinthians, he talks about other be- people being apostles, right? But whatever apostle means to Paul, it seems to be a really, really big deal because he talks about it a lot. Like, you know, like I'm an apostle, you know, I have, I have an apostolic ministry. But Paul in Acts right, is, is a little bit different. So some things that are missing in the letters, right, is, is really like, no, like Paul conversion. There's not that he's from Tarsus. There's not that he's a Roman citizen. Um, you know, these things are, you know, they're conspicuously absent from the letters, uh, you know, and the idea of being like, well, why would Paul leave them out? Because to us, that sounds like a really compelling story. That sounds like, you know, that he was this multicultural uh, person, right? Um that he had this, he had this experience where he met Jesus on, on the road. Um, so it's just something, you know, to think about it, that to Paul, the letter writer, uh, his, his calling was much more important 
than his conversion. So when he was, that's something that was very common with all of his letters. When he was going into it, you know, he really wanted to talk more about what, what his calling was, you know, and if you, you go to Galatians 1, 13 to 15, right, he, he references Isaiah 49. Uh, but in terms of his title, sometimes he says a prisoner for the Lord. Sometimes he says an apostle. Sometimes he says like, you know, but apostle does seem to be very important to Paul, but he does kind of seem to shape shift. And, you know, if you if you think about Luke Acts being constructed at like a later date, at a much later time after Paul wrote um, Luke, whoever wrote Luke Acts would might have been looking back with, with much more source material, you know, than we have access to. And he he would he might have given us the fuller picture. You know, he was obviously constructing a, a gospel. So he was constructing a narrative in a certain way. So. <clears throat> kind of like bring it back to what we were saying like do you guys think like the way paul paul the letter writer and paul and acts does that surprise you at all that there's a difference between the way paul presents himself and the way acts presents himself we actually wouldn't even know you know that you know paul could speak all these languages right from his letters because he only wrote in greek but in acts you know paul is very very fluent in many languages almost every language every language of his day he can speak in acts Uh, what do you guys think about that I think the one that stands out to me, I mean, I, I agree with you because I think it, 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 well, I mean, there's different purpose for it. You know, you mm-hmm. read it, um, whatever, whether it's the uh, biography versus, um, you know, history or like whatever, like there's always a different thing. Like Paul, was, it was a much more full story, but I, I always think of the situation with him and Barnabas um, and, and John Mark and how, um, you know, John Mark deserted them on one of their missionary journeys. And then when it's time to go on another one, he doesn't want to take Mark with him. And it causes such a sharp dispute. Um, and, I, I, and I believe like it's, it's kind of like that same word that you use in Hebrews where it's like spur one another on towards loving good deeds. It's like this sharp dispute where they had Barnabas, who was basically like his mentor, it seemed like in the, in the early parts of Acts. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they literally part company. But see, that doesn't sound like... Paul, the letter writer, who's always about unity and get, get, uh, get along with one another and forgive one another in the Lord. Now, it could be a retrospect, like, like you know, maybe that happened and later on in his life, he, that, that really stuck with him. And he's like, you know, he realized how bad that was and he, he's changed or something. But yeah. there really seems to be a contrast there between the guy who's like, no, I'm not taking it. I don't, you don't even know what, what John, what could, like, what John Mark even did as an assistant or so to speak. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, but he was like, I'm not taking them with me to the point where they're parting companies. That doesn't kind of sound like Paul, the letter writer to me, mm-hmm. but, not, but I believe it's Paul and I right. believe it happened, so to speak. But that there's a, so no, it doesn't surprise me as much. Um, but I think it's interesting when you start to notice it. I think that, I think that's the whole thing. I think like when you notice things like they either intrigue you or, or, or you, or maybe you get defensive because you're like, oh, that, that rocks my whole way of, of, of I have now I feel like I have to defend something or whatever. But when you're okay with it, you get really like intrigued. Like, wow, that's just so crazy. He was really human. Yeah. I think like one of the things with Paul is he almost gets portrayed like the most righteous person that ever lived was Jesus and then Paul. <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> like how he gets portrayed. I think people carry that image. Um, and it's like, no, like there's, there's some mistakes here. 
Right. Um, there's humanity. It's not just he's human, but there's mistakes here and maybe even regrets here, which is really interesting. Go for it, man. Well, again, you've got to remember these are occasional letters. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily his autobiography. Right. You know, it's, it's one thing. You write an autobiography about yourself. You're telling, you know, you'd be given a lot more detail. And somebody that's doing a biography of you, you know, or giving more of a history will be putting in more of the warts and all. So, again, Paul's not uh, – he tells some of the stuff about himself, but he's – again, he's not necessarily addressing all of that. I mean – He's trying to basically, I would think, address the issues of the day. And uh, again, it, these are occasional letters. So I think that, you know, I, you know, if I were to be a first time reader or something, uh, maybe I would, you know, but it never really occurred to me until you asked the question, Jimmy. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But if someone were, I guess, going through it and kind of uh, looking at it critically, maybe someone going through it the first time and trying to say, oh, does this contradict or why is this? Maybe it would, but um, I'm thinking, yeah, but a lot of people, even some people's biographies don't always jive with their autobiographies, you know, so. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. and. Uh we have a comment from uh, Daniel Makoku. I know a lot of you guys know him. Uh, Acts is someone writing about Paul, and in his letters, he is supposedly writing himself. So Acts is someone's opinion of him, and I that that really resonates with me. So I want I wanted to read that because to me, I almost feel like Acts is like the movie based on a true story, like you know, like where you know things are selected. You know, maybe some things are are made to be like. Like if you were there, you might be like, well, no, it didn't happen exactly that way. Uh, but, you know, it, it's constructed for a reason, you know, which is why I always feel like Luke and Axe really should be together. Or like when you finish Luke, you should really just go on to Axe, you know, instead of like continuing on to John, because there, there's so many parallels in the way Luke constructed that two volume work that I think like, you know, are really important uh, for what Luke was trying to get across. But yeah, there, there does seem to be. Uh, some difference, you know, um, between Paul, the letter writer, and, you know, the way he was eventually portrayed in Acts. We have another comment from Daniel. This is fun. Acts, oh, I uh, a level of maturity. Nice. Thanks, Daniel. It's true. Yep. That, that's what we read before. So cool. We have some comments in Facebook. That's exciting. So, yeah, so you know that's something too. You, ha I think the other art, the other thing you have to consider is this something that's just important to nerds, or is this important for everybody? Like, you know, is this, is this something to point out? Is this is there value in this? And uh, you know, that's a question. You know, I think that that's important to ask. Uh, for me, I feel like there is absolutely value in it. It changes the way you know I've come to approach Paul, um, and you know, it's it's been it's been very very good for me. To just, you know, think about like, you know, Acts being constructed almost as like a, another gospel, right? Uh, and um, Paul's letters being occasional and having to approach that type of literature, you know, different. 
you know. So we're gonna we're gonna wrap up quickly with some questions of the canon. <clears throat> so we're gonna fly through this. Uh, there were so many awesome things that I, I wanted to share with you guys while I was preparing this lesson. I had to cut cut a bunch of it out. Uh, but when you think of a canon, and I spelled canon there wrong, it's supposed to be of one n. Uh, canon is what is canon, right? So we could ask ourselves, what is the New Testament? We could have two different extreme answers, right? We could have literal inerrant word of God, right? And then we have people like saying, oh, there's no musical instruments in the New Testament, so we're not going to use them on our Sunday service, right? Um, literal, like, you know, word for word, we're going to follow everything exactly the way it's written. And then there's the other extreme where it says the New Testament is made up of over 5,200 separate manuscripts. So that's like ultimate deconstruction where you see everything as just like manuscript evidence. You know, these, these are kind of too extreme. But wherever you land, well, maybe not wherever you land, but for the purposes of our discussion, scripture uh, is considered authoritative. So scripture or authoritative. So scripture are writings, right, or sacred literature. Uh, lots of cultures, lots of different religions have their own sacred literature, literature that they feel is sacred. Uh, canon can be translated straight rod, a rule or measure or collection of books. So you could you could have a canon of the best Marvel comics, right? These are the comics you need to read. A lot of times before, you know, these movies come out, you know, they're like, okay, these are the episodes. These are the movies you need to watch to get ready for this new mo new Marvel movie that's coming out, right? Uh, but what is the New Testament? New Testament is considered a canon, 27 books. Now, how was that decided? Right, no definitive point uh, in time where that was was that was decided, but you want to think of it more as multiple scripture traditions, and this is actually carried on into today. Right, we have the big three: we have the Catholic, the Protestant, and the Eastern. So those, that's almost like a record of different scriptural traditions that have survived uh, into the present day. Uh, you have Tatian. Uh, third or fourth century, he wrote a harmonized gospel that was later rejected. He basically took Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, and he kind of just put it all together. And he's like, this is the one we should use. We shouldn't use these other four. We should just use this one that was later rejected. Uh, we have this guy over here in his pic picture. His name is Asubius. This is the third or fourth century. He was very, very highly motivated to figure out the mess that was Christian scriptures back in the third or fourth century. Uh, he was very highly motivated because Constantine had just become the emperor, had just declared Christianity, right, to be legal. It was going to be the official uh, religion of the the empire. And he had ordered about 50 volumes of Christian scripture. And so, so according to Asubius, now some people doubt his authenticity. He was working for Constantine and he came up with this list. And the list is kind of, it, it is kind of actually funny when you read it. I have it a little bit bigger for you guys here. So recognize, he recognized the four gospels, Paul's letters, Acts, 1 John, 1 Peter, and Revelation, if you so desire, he said. Disputed, he has James, Jude, 2 Peter, and 2 and 3 John. Those are the ones that we would say, no, those are genuine, right? Most people would say that. Not genuine would be the Acts of Paul, the Shepherd of Hermas, Apocalypse of Peter, the Letter of Barnabas, the Didache, or the teachings of the 12, and <laughs> Revelation. <laughs> so in his list, he put Revelation twice. He put it as, you know, like, recognize, you can read it if you want, and this is not genuine. 
And then he has the writings of the heretics, which would be the Gospel of Peter, Thomas, Matthias, Acts of Andrew, Acts of John, or any of the other Acts. But when you talk about Paul, what did he think was authoritative? What can we what can we glean from his writings that he would think, okay, if Paul was going to say, these are the things that have authority, right? He thought of the Jewish scriptures, right? Some examples would be Galatians 4, Romans 10, uh, where he's quoting uh, Isaiah 53. Uh, these scriptures are authoritative to Paul. Really, you can't, it's almost like you can't like read a sentence of Paul without tripping over either a direct quotation or an allusion to uh, the scriptures. And Paul assumes that his audience knows them. He assumes that his, his audience is tracking with all of these uh, allusions of direct quotations that he's making uh, to the Old Testament scriptures. Paul's known to take two or three scriptures in the Old Testament from different places, and he kind of mashes them together, and he makes his, his own thing. Yep, the Torah. Very good. Is that Mr. Makoko again? Yeah, I love it. We're getting comments on the side. Uh, what texts and traditions continuing? And also Jesus's life and sayings. So we had the Jewish scriptures or the Tanakh, and, or, and we had Jewish, Jesus's life and sayings. And again, Paul, know, he assumes his audience knows this. There's no evidence of a written text, but there were, you know, most likely oral stories, people passing on, Jesus did this, Jesus did that. Uh, but there were no New Testament texts. So Paul wasn't referencing as scriptural New Testament texts because they, they hadn't been written yet. And interestingly, Paul only directly cites the words of Jesus twice. And that's once on divorce and once on uh, do not muzzle an ox when he's treading out the grain, basically saying that if you preach the word of God, you deserve to get paid for preaching the word of God. What so those are the kind of, to give than to receive. I thought yeah. that was, that's another quote. Right? What, what's that? It's better to give than to receive. Yeah, but in terms of like direct quotations, not just like I heard this from God. Well, I know yeah. sometimes they put that in red, and so they're off on that. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe, maybe, maybe there's a few more, but you know, he quotes. He doesn't quote as so. The thought yeah, experiment I mean, that we could make. Did someone say something? I'm sorry. No, no, I was just agreeing with you, but I just remember that one. You'll see, like, if you have a yeah. red the Bible, that will be in red. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, it, yeah. So I might have, I might have missed one, but if you do a quick thought experiment, mm -hmm. if all we had were the letters of Paul. What would we really know about Jesus? You know, what we know about his life, what we know about what he did. You know, like it's just something something to think about. <clears throat> so Paul's not thinking uh, about any New Testament texts, you know, including his own as authoritative when he's writing this. You know, why? Because there were no Christian texts. Uh, and the word Christian hadn't been coined yet. Uh, so, you know, that's just something for us to think about. So we're going to discuss that real quick to kind of close us out. Uh, considering that Paul would not have considered what he was writing to be as authoritative as scripture, does that change how you read them? Like why or why not? I, I just want to know. Well, go ahead. That doesn't change anything for me. I mean, um, they, they're still, foundational you know there are some uh foundational truths that can still be you know used i do look for the things that are you know occasional 
but even those occasional things do have some foundational um, issues to them or foundational truths. You can you know look at things like women covering her hair and look at the cultural reason that might have been used, you know, as an occasional thing that would not, because of the occasional cultural reason and context, you know, weed something like that out. So with, um, with discretion and understanding, you know, that would, um, a person understanding that would make a difference. So if, if I didn't go into it knowing that, it would change the way I would read it. If that, yeah, that's the way I would look at it. So you would say, okay, being at your occasional, you would look for what were the cultural things that could have, right. you know. So, but my question would be, how would you determine like the cultural, like the cultural revel- relevance of what you were reading? I would, I would need to know what the cultural thing was and that would take a lot of digging mm. to parse that out some of that's already been done so yep. you know but if i didn't know that i would have to do a lot of digging to figure that gotcha. so, yeah yeah well that's good I, I think for me um i think what, what what makes a lot of paul's letters very unique is um there was definitely something new going on mm. You know what I mean? Like, like, okay, so you've got the, the apostles that were with Jesus, and then you got Paul who didn't, like, he wasn't, like, in the traditional sense of, was, wasn't taught by Jesus when he was there in the flesh on earth. But yet he's out there preaching this gospel and starting churches uh, that is this very mixed, like, you know, like, you see, like, in Antioch, he, like, when, when the people spread and they start the church in Antioch, then Barnabas goes and gets Saul, and he's, like, he's there like on the mission field, like kind of from the beginning of where like the church started being a mix of Jew and Gentile. So he's got a lot more hands-on experience. And then he goes out and he's planting churches. And I think he's actually dealing with new problems that other people weren't dealing with yet. Um, So he's trying to figure this stuff. He's almost like he's trying to figure out how this whole kingdom thing actually works. Um, So, uh, it gives it this this special, really intimate and um, thing because it's like he's really in, on the practical side of how to make a church family work, how to make these communities of uh, Messiah people, if you would use like um, maybe like an anti-right word of of, of of a better humanity, like how to live this inside of the Roman Empire. So I yeah. think like when you when you see that, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Like it's it's actually he's doing something different um, than maybe what some of the other guys are doing with because they're they like they may in the beginning Acts looks like you know it's a very Jewish thing and they they stuck around in Jerusalem for a very long time. So I think Paul's very trying to figure it out as he goes, and and I think that that's one thing when I read that. Um, and then there was something else um, that when when I read the letters of, of Paul. I kind of lost my train of thought, but um, it's cool. Um, yeah, on it, but um, it's. I really wanted to say what I want to say because I think it was it was good. But anyway, uh, we'll let it go. But I think that I think that's the one thing, though. I think it, he's he's actually you're getting like the hands-on understanding of what's going on, and he's dealing with real issues as they're happening, 
like the way he's dealing with, let's just deal with Galatians as an example. Like we're getting uh, in the moment, like how he's dealing with these, you know, um, Jewish Christians kind of coming in. Um, and, you know, and, and we see some of that in Acts 15, like where people the, the, or, or something where the, the people come down from Jerusalem and say, unless you get circumcised, you can't be saved. But we get to see kind of like this hands on how Paul was really dealing with it. There was no manual. There was no handbook. He's kind of just the first guy just kind of really dealing with it and addressing with it. So I think he's learning as, as we write. He's maybe, or maybe he's he just figured all this stuff out and now he's it's getting out there. So it doesn't change the way I um I read Paul because he in, to his mind, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. And he's the fulfillment of the promise to the Jews. And it's now, okay, it's for everyone else. So it's not like, oh, we need a New Testament. <laughs> it's like, hey, he's the fulfillment of this. So I don't look at it any different. Like I look at it like, okay, you know, Paul is a guy that was leading a church. And he was dealing, he was on the street, on the scene, really dealing with real issues. And he knew the Old Testament really well. And he, and he, and and this is what he kind of came up with, and God inspired him to, to figure out how to deal with these issues. So I, I look at it like as like really important, like really valuable things to figure out uh, what we should do. And maybe I can model the trajectory of maybe where he was trying to go, in a sense, yeah. you know, rather than just what was written right then and there. You know what I mean? Like, so when you take something like maybe Galatians 3, they get used a lot like there's no slave, no Jew, no, you know, Gentile, no, no free, you know, no man or woman in Christ. You kind of go like, okay, well, where was, where does that really wanting to go? Mm -hmm. Like, wow, that's exciting. Where would, where, if he would have, if you would have asked Paul, like, where do you see this going in two or three or 400 years from now? Or what would you think the ultimate thing? You'd be like, oh, just like a real family, just we're all living differently. And I don't think he would be like, yeah, and women don't get to preach. And people are still slaves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think very often we make the, the letters or the Bible like very stagnant and we don't like follow the trajectory of maybe where it was really headed. Hmm. So uh, I kind of look at it like there, like a launching pad in a sense. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, that's going to be a great launching pad uh, for us to, you know, now transition into doing a deep dive into Ephesians. Uh, you know, we're going to be reading this week, if you're following along with the reading, chapters 10 to 13 in N.T. Wright's book, Paul, a biography, <clears throat> and how God became king, uh, our introduction. We're going to read introduction in chapters one through three. So if you haven't gotten that book, uh, please do. It, it should uh, be a good read. Um, so, yeah, I think just to kind of close us off here, if, if you think about, you know, Paul, these were occasional letters. What was the point of what Paul was doing? If the point of Paul was, okay, this is what I'm laying down. This is how to build a church for all time and all place. Then you, you approach him differently, right? But if the point of Paul is something else, right? And the point of Paul could be like we talked about, I think um, a few classes ago about bringing the world back together, right? There's no slave nor free, right? There's no Jew or Gentile. Uh, there's no male or female. There's just Christ and all is in Christ. You know, you can take a text like Philemon, right, where it says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, and you could take that to be like, well, if someone's in authority and they're responsible for me, right, you know, like 
I, I need to listen to what they say, or we could take the book of Philemon as a whole, right? And see how Paul was trying to unite two brothers that had a disagreement together, you know, even though there was a master slave, Paul was trying to do away with that relationship. And we can, you know, suddenly Paul becomes, you know, different. Paul becomes almost dangerous in some ways. It's almost subversive. He's he's doing something new. It's exciting. It should, you know, make us lean forward in our chairs. So thank you guys so much uh, again uh, for uh, being here. Again, if you're listening to us, uh, please consider supporting us on Patreon. It helps us do a lot of great, awesome things together. Um, and yeah, let's, uh, guys, let's close this one out. The, an introduction to Paul, part two, is in the books. Thank you guys so much for doing this with me live. I appreciate all you guys. Hey, Andre. See you out there. I love it at the end when you turn your camera. It's like, hey, is that, there's Andre. He's really here. <laughs> all right. Patty. Adios, muchachas. Oh, and muchachos. We got to go. Bye, everybody. Go. Thank Bye. you, guys. Bye.